Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the strong and resilient Marcy Warhaft. Marcy has risen above more than her fair share of hardships to come into her truest self. Her new book, The Good Stripper, a soccer mom's memoir of lies, loss, and lap dances, provides an account of the double life she once lived and how she came into her power and rebuilt herself. I'm so happy to have her here today to share her powerful story. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you for having me. You've had some really intense life experiences that have obviously shaped who you are today. When we were prepping for this interview, you described yourself as a strong kid, but then things changed as you got older and you began to experience a series of intense traumas. So can you take us back to the first event that you feel caused that shift for you from that place of strength to a feeling of self-doubt? Sure. I think in my case, there was almost a, a soft shift that led to the bigger one. So when I was 10 years old, my father left and my parents got divorced and I wasn't super close with him. I was much closer to my mom and and my older brother. The divorce wasn't a bad thing, but he did kind of just leave. And I remember going into the laundry room one day and saying to my mom, what's so wrong with me that even my father doesn't want to know me? And she just stopped everything. She was fantastic. And she explained it wasn't an issue with me. It was a problem with him. It was him that was lacking something, not me. And that helped, but that was sort of a a one little bit of a cut, one small cut in my confidence. But again, I was very, very close with my mom, very, very close with my brother. Um, I had an older sister as well, and we weren't as close. We were actually both very close to our brother who was in the middle. So then the big, big change, what what I know to be the thing that totally took me off to a different path and, and changed my life completely was when I was 17, this brother that I was so close to became ill and died. And he was 21. And that completely changed my life. I mean, I'm still gutted from it. And it it changed me in the way, a few ways. So for one thing, uh, I I didn't realize how sick he was and and it was sort of kept from me to to protect me. Mm -hmm. But then I was completely blindsided by it. And so to me, my older brother was this I looked at him the way a little girl is supposed to look at their father, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he was strong and healthy and just great and loving and exactly what a big brother is supposed to be. So when he died at that, at 17, you feel like you're supposed to feel like you're invincible. A lot of teenagers feel like nothing bad can happen. But to me, it had the, I had the reverse experience where I felt, oh my God, if he could die, anything bad can happen. So I felt very, very vulnerable. But the other thing that happened was I thought he was such a great person, much better person than I was, that I felt it should have been me. And so from the day he died, this mantra that went through my brain was, it should have been me. And so I believed that if I was going to be here on this planet instead of him, I had to really earn my space. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't just be average. I had to be spectacular. But I wasn't feeling spectacular. I didn't feel particularly smart or interesting or funny. And I thought, well, maybe I could be pretty enough. And to a 17 year old at that time, pretty enough meant skinny enough. So I always say that, that my brother's death gave birth to my eating disorder because the other part of it was when you feel like your world is so out of control and you have no control over anything, what's the one thing you can control is your body. The one thing I could control. So I could control what I ate or what I didn't eat or how much I exercised or didn't exercise or sleep or didn't sleep. So that became my focus was my body in an unhealthy, dangerous way. So here I was this super confident little girl. And then all of a sudden, all of that was replaced by insecurity and self-doubt and and, and fear of the world. So it was completely life-changing. Yeah. I can imagine that sort of a traumatic event in your young life would have have such uh, an effect on on everything you thought you knew, right? Especially with someone who you looked up to so mm-hmm. much as a role model, right? And then, like you said, came that survivor's guilt, right? Of- Absolutely. And I, I, I used to describe him, and I describe him in my book as the invisible armor I wore outside in the world. So I always say 
my mom was my home to come home to all the time. She was that safe place. And my brother was the invisible armor I wore. Like he was just, I knew he was there to protect me. So when I lost him, I lost that protection that I didn't have my father. So I just felt extremely vulnerable. Yeah. So you mentioned your relationship with your mom being really close. Mm -hmm. What role did she play? And I know that she passed as well, right? right? So how did that impact you? So I, I feel very lucky that I had her. I've learned that if I didn't have that foundation of my mother and my brother growing up, if I didn't have that unconditional love and support, and if I didn't feel that safe and protected early on, I don't think I would have survived everything that I went through after. I think it was having that foundation at the beginning built something in me. That's where my strength comes from. Even when I thought I lost it, it was still in there. And I think that was from them. But my mother was, to me, she was love personified. She was the one who all of, with my siblings, all of our friends, when they couldn't talk to their parents about things, they would talk to my mom. She didn't try to be cool. She was, but she didn't try to be cool. She wanted to be just loving and safe for everybody. And she had a hard life. She, I mean, she lost a child. She had a a terrible divorce. Her parents were not supportive. Um, You know, when my father left, he didn't pay a dime of, of support. And she got married at 19 and had to figure everything out with three kids. And she had a lot of reasons to be bitter and she wasn't at all, Mm. not at all. Um, And so she was this amazing light for me. And like I said, she was home. She was, my my whole world could be crashing after, but if if I saw my mom or spoke to her, that I was, I was good. And even when I moved across the country, we would talk three days, three days, three, three times a day. So we were super close. And so I, again, same with my brother, I did not, she was trying to, she tried to protect me from my brother's illness by not telling me how sick he was, um, which is why I was in the middle of writing an exam when they came to get me and tell me he had passed. So, so same thing, I was living in Vancouver and she was in Montreal and I knew she'd battled cancer and um, she didn't tell me that she was sick again because I was pregnant. Well, I had two miscarriages and then I had, I was pregnant and uh, she didn't want to make me stressed being pregnant. Like she, she, when I got pregnant again, she would call me with her pregnancy cravings. Like it was our baby. Yeah. (laughs) She was the first person I told. Um, so she was very excited and she didn't want to stress me out and tell me she was ill. So I went for my ultrasounds and I got the okay and everything was good. And I had plans on flying into town to see her the end of the week. And then I got a call from my sister saying, you need to come in. I said, I'm coming in in a few days. She says, no, you have to come in now mommy's dying and she's not going to make it. I was just, what? Like I couldn't, it made no sense to me. And I flew in immediately and I saw her and I showed her my ultrasound pictures and told her I was going to name the baby after her and she died and that was it. And I was not prepared, not prepared. And that I, I did not ever expect to be a mother without my mother. I didn't get five minutes as a mother with my mother by four months. We missed it by four months. And, uh, and I, that's, that's been, it's again, still tough. That was 22 years ago. And it's still very tough for me. Well, like you said, to have her be that safe place for you and then to have that taken away is, is, is so difficult, especially mm-hmm. when you are in that vulnerable time of bringing a child into the world after having had the miscarriages, right? You were feeling, I'm sure, so fragile. Mm-hmm. And then... And then to compound that, you know, her passing must have been an incredible blow. And it was tough because I, I couldn't, it's that the pattern in my life had been when I would have these big things happen, I didn't have time to deal with them before the next one came. So I couldn't really let myself really feel my mother's death because I was carrying this baby and it had two miscarriages. So I, I had to focus on on him, you know, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking that when she died, what do I do with all that love? Like, where do you put it? What do you do with it? And you have nowhere to, and I had to f- just keep focusing it on my baby. But I think that was, I couldn't, I was so nervous that I, I wish I had had more time to, not that I'd ever get over it, but I wish I had sort of had more time to let myself feel her loss. Well, what do you feel like the cumulative effect was of all of these events in your life? That's exactly why I wrote the book because of, I think I, I think people see grief in certain ways. I think people see trauma in certain ways. And I think we, we hear a lot of stories. We watch movies, we read books. But what happened to me was a little bit, I, I'd say unique, but I don't know that it's unique. I know that, that what I've learned is 
we think we know, but trauma shows its effects in so many people in different ways um, and grief in different ways. And I think we need to sort of open ourselves up to, to when we look at what people are doing or how they're acting or, or behaving to think maybe there's more to their story than that. And, and also ourselves, I think when we do things that seem out of character to kind of go, what's going on in my life? So less judgment. So for me, I had, so I had my son, but I always say my mom saved my baby. I lost, um, my mom was about five months pregnant with, with my older son and I was nervous and I would get checked all the time and make sure he was fine. And then at about, um, I was 34 weeks pregnant and I just stopped feeling him move. And I knew something was wrong. I yeah. knew it. And I went to the, the hospital and I wanted like a non-stress test and, I, and they just wrote neurotic mother in my chart. Like they were like, you're fine. Oh, you're boy. fine. And they wouldn't give me the test I wanted. And they did ultrasounds. You're fine. They brought in this doctor to come in and calm me down. And he said, come back in a week. He said, I can't, I don't know what's going to be in months, but I, I can give you a week. If you're still feeling uncomfortable in a week, come back. But what had happened was my mom had been, she had dealt with breast cancer for years and she'd gone for her, her mammograms. And the last one she'd gone for, she called her doctor and the receptionist said, you're fine. Um, you've got that same shadow that you had 10 years ago. And my mother said, what, what shadow are you talking about? Let me talk to the doctor. And the doctor was upset that the receptionist had said anything to my mom. And their conversation was, it's nothing. I've seen it for a million years. It's fine. And she's like, well, what I need, what are you talking about? And he said, it's nothing. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I'm like, anyway, she demanded, um, a biopsy. She said, and she's not aggressive, my mother. And she said, write down on a piece of paper. This is not cancer and sign your name. Mm. And he said, I can't do that. She said, then I want the biopsy. And she had it and it came back malignant. Oh, geez. And it had spread. And so that's when she started fighting again. And it was two years later that she passed. Wow. Um, so her message was, fight. If you feel something's wrong, yeah, fight. Don't be, don't be intimidated. Don't you have a million patients? You have you exactly advocate. So when that doctor sent me home and I knew something was wrong and said, don't come back for a week. I remember the whole night I was up like crying and I'm like, I'm going back. So I went back the next day and I wasn't leaving until I got checked out properly. And it was a different doctor that was there. Thank goodness. And he checked me out and he said, something's wrong. He said, I don't know what, but something and they did an emergency C-section and he had lost 75% of his blood. They think my placenta separated. And I was told if I'd waited an hour, we would have lost him. Oh my goodness. And here I'm he said, chills. yeah. And here he had said, don't come back for a week. And I remember, you know, you're, I'm on the, the he was in the, the NICU and, and he was very sick. Um, he had two blood transfusions and then he was, he was amazing after he got out of the hospital within two weeks. But at the time I'm, I'm on the baby floor, like the maternity ward and you hear all the babies crying and cooing and you don't have your baby. Yeah. And the doctors kept coming up and saying, he's so sick. He's so sick. But there was a picture I had on my kind of tray of my mom and I, and this nurse came in and she said, Oh, is that your mom? I said, yeah. And she said, is she coming in? I said, she just passed. She bolted out of the room. And then she came back and she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I'm like, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I get it. So then, but he was fine, but that was traumatic. Cause it was, it was a diff, it was just difficult. And I felt like I couldn't, I remember thinking, what if, what did I do in a past life that here it's the birth of my first child. And I can't even enjoy that because it's traumatic. Yeah. Like not only do we not, it would, it would have been hard enough without my mom there, but now we don't know if he's going to make it. Yeah. You know, it was all the doctors being, be cautiously optimistic, but eh. so that's devastating. Yeah. And I was living the other side of the country, so I didn't have anybody. So it was, it was challenging, but then, um, so life kept kind of throwing things at me. My relationship, um, was good and not great. Like it had like most relationships were a bit challenging. And again, I was far away from friends and family. So it was a bit isolating. And then, um, I got pregnant again. And this time, um, I was pregnant with another little boy and just a freak thing. I ended up, um, I had gotten bronchitis and a sinus infection. I was put on antibiotics and um, I was nervous about taking anything because of my past with my pregnancies and I was guaranteed it was fine. And one day I just woke up in horrible pain and went to the hospital, sent me home. Long story short, I had, um, something called C. Diff, which is, it took them a, a little too long to figure out what it was because I was, because I was pregnant and because I had difficult pregnancies in the past, when you're presenting with pain in your stomach and you're pregnant, 
they think maternity stuff. Right. And, and I get it. I totally get it. I don't blame anybody. Um, but so I kept checking the baby and the baby was fine. And now I was about five and a half months pregnant with this baby. And, um, we, they, I was dying, it turned out. And they oh gosh. brought me, they had did one surgery and they, they couldn't tell. They brought me in 36 hours later, just cut me open. And the doctor said that I looked like a tiger because my insides were black and orange with bacteria. Oh my goodness. And it was, you, it's C. diff is when you take an antibiotic, if you don't take a probiotic, what can happen is the, the antibiotics will kill, they just, it just randomly kills bacteria, but right. it kills good bacteria with the bad bacteria right. and it let this one grow and it just went too far. So then when we thought we, when we knew what it was, I thought, okay, I remember being in the recovery room after the surgery and a nurse came over and I said, do they know what it is? And she said, yeah. And I, and then I remember her saying to me, how are you smiling? You must be in so much pain. And I said, but they know what it is so they can save us. It's a relief. But it was, it had gone too far. So my organs started shutting down. Oh my goodness. So I ended up with kidney failure and respiratory failure and, um, went into shock and lost the baby. Didn't even know I'd wake up and say, how's the baby? And they'd tell me I lost him and I'd go out again. And then I'd wake up and ask how the baby was. And they'd tell me again, it it took a while. Um, And then I ended up getting worse and I went into intensive care and I was on a ventilator, um, was given a 25% chance of surviving at one point. Um, Pneumonia, I got MRSA, the super bug that you get in the hospital. So it was was in isolation. So couldn't see anybody except for my husband at the time. The doctors would be masked and gloved and gowned and the whole thing. Um, Had to end up having a tracheostomy to get out. It was... It was a tough, I had to learn how to, you know, sit up and then walk. And then, I mean, it was traumatizing. Yeah. Um, but then survive that. <laughs> and then it well, just. Well, you're a survivor, <laughs> if anything, I'll tell you that. But so, the, so, so to answer your question, um, what happened was right after that, I decided we moved back to Toronto where some family was. And um, during that time, I'd reconnected with my father and was in touch with him for six months and then he passed away and that was kind of closure for me. Not that I passed away, but it was, I, you know, kind of cleaned up our side of the street. I felt I have zero bitterness towards him, which I get from my mom. Um, but I decided to get pregnant again and my doctors, most of my doctors thought it was nuts because this would be my what fifth pregnancy. Yeah. And, but I knew I had another one. Like I knew I had a brother in there for my older son. I just knew it. So got pregnant again and, and he's fantastic and all that was great. But at this point, um, my body had had enough, my, my sort of psychologically had had enough. Um, there was a lot of loss. There was a lot of pain, physical pain, emotional pain. And at this point my relationship was in a rocky place and it was too much for me. And I kind of ended up dissociating. So which I, I, a therapist had once described it to me as traumatic overload. It's when you have too much in just without time to breathe and recover. And it's like your brain is saying, no, I'm not letting you have anymore. I'm not letting you feel anymore. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take you outside of yourself for a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. Totally. And that's, yeah. And again, I think because um, I got married young and we did our best, but but there just wasn't, I wasn't getting the support I needed. And I was kind of, um, being pushed in, in certain directions that I was, I was easily influenced, let's say by outside forces that I wouldn't have been a, if I still had my family with me or if I hadn't been through so much and I ended up kind of going down a dark path, yeah. which is where my book kind of talks about. So I can totally understand why that amount of trauma. And like you said, they just came so fast and furious that you never had time to catch your breath. Like you said, you never had time to heal from each of those things. So I can see that, that, like I said, that cumulative effect Mm -hmm. catches up to you. And I can understand how the brain just says done. So what was the next step? Once you sort of had that disassociation, like you say, what then occurred for you? Okay. So so my book again is called The Good Stripper, Soccer Mom's Memoir of Lies, Loss, and Lap Dances. And so what happened for me was because I had grown up um, when I was 17 without that self-esteem, right? Because I'd lost that and I had dealt with the, the eating disorder and I still through everything, my pregnancies, was still battling 
with my, my eating disorder yeah. and body image issues. Even when I remember when I got out of the hospital and thought, I'm never going to worry about how I look again. I mean, here I am, lost a baby and I almost died. I'm, ne- I'm never going to worry about it again. But eating disorders are so devious that it just came back. Um, and sort of looking a certain way became more important than being healthy, even though I'd come so close to losing my life. And I still ended up feeling like I wasn't worth much as a person. I, I, I felt like I had played, I had two purposes in life. So one purpose was I had these two babies and I'd lost my mother young and she was amazing and, and I almost died. So how much time do I have left? That's my whole thought was well, how much time? Do I? I don't think I'm going to live that long. I want every moment with my kids to be magical. I want them to have a million memories of me because what if I'm not here that long? I just want them to have the best childhood. So I, I was adamant about that, about being a great mom. Then the other part of that was I had lost so much of my own identity and my partner at the time saw me really, I believe, started to see me as more of a sexual being than maybe a partner. Um, and I don't, and I very clear in my book, not to blame anybody for anything, but, uh, I did start to feel like my only worth was a mom or some sort of sex toy. And I started to feel I would get validations. We opened up our marriage a little bit, um, which wasn't comfortable for me, but I ended up getting a certain amount of empowerment by feeling validated by attention from other people. And I needed, I needed to feel loved. I didn't have anyone. Um, I remember saying to my sister, now my sister and I are very, very close, but I remember saying to her recently, we were talking and I said, how did I not, I wasn't in a great relationship. I wasn't in a great situation. How did I not leave? And she said, where were you going to go? You had nobody. She said, everybody died. You and I weren't talking. You had babies. What were you going to do? And I had gotten married fairly young. I, I, I never lived on my own, really. I, I didn't know what really how to take care of myself. I was the baby. I was protected, but I didn't learn enough. So I was really dependent. And so because I, I had this weird double life that I was living, because they were so different. So I'm trying to be the best mom to my kids. At the same time, I'm getting validation by, because I'll never feel like I'm good enough as a mother. So then I'm trying to get this validation as a woman, from these, this out, these outside sources. So I would, at one point I did start dancing, um, start stripping. That was just even, that was part of, I really, if I'm, I hate to say it, but the truth is if a man looked at me and gave me attention, I was theirs. And, but my, but my partner was aware of it. It wasn't, there was no, eh, you know, and he was benefiting because that, that part of me, that sexual part of me was benefiting him as well. But what I've learned is I was confusing being sexual with being sexualized Mm -hmm. and using my body with being used for my body. So I felt maybe empowered for 20 minutes and then I would feel completely used. Right. So I was, I was battling this, these two personas kind of, but I could remember days when I would look at myself in the mirror and literally say out loud, who are you? Cause I did not recognize myself. So it was, uh, and then, yeah, so I, did, I made a lot of, I say mistakes, but it was, again, what I've learned was in a way it was a weird protection because it wasn't me doing those things. I was, it was me when I was with my children, but it, it, I mean, it was me when I was dancing or being sexual with other people, but it, I, it didn't feel like me. I was very detached from myself. I was connected to my children, but I was extremely disconnected from myself. I can remember thinking I should be scared right now. Why am I not feeling that? I should be like there were, I knew the feelings I should be feeling, but I wasn't feeling them. I was kind of numb to that. Yeah. So it was like almost like a different persona. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but I felt, I felt really out of control. I didn't like the feeling at all, at all. And it, and it was tough because I would literally go days without sleeping because to try to do these two lives. I mean, when I was dancing, I would, I I, so I, wanna, I started dancing because I needed the money to pay for a trainer to get me to look the way I thought I should look. It's crazy because in one sense, I was simultaneously detached from my body and completely focused on my body. So I was detached in the sense I was not taking care of myself. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I wasn't doing what I needed to do, but I was focused on it in the sense of my eating disorder. So I was working with a trainer 
and I was bodybuilding. So I was working out like crazy, not eating and using my body sexually. So I'm, I'm so about my body, but so disconnected from my body. So I would, I wanted a job where I could be home with my kids and make money. So I would be home with my kids, put my kids to bed, go to the club, get home at four o'clock in the morning, have something to eat, change my clothes, go to the gym, work out, go to the 24 hour grocery store to pick up stuff for the kids, come home, wake them up, make breakfast, start the day. How long did that go on? I, I can't imagine you're, you could just physically and not a, let alone emotionally, like do that for that long. Like, it, well, that was the thing I, I, I guess I would, cause I remember there, I, cause that was one thing my, my, my ex-husband hated that I didn't sleep, hated that I didn't sleep. And there are people who'd say, how could he let you do that? He, he had no choice. I mean, really, I'd say to him all the time, you're not my father. I'm like, it's not that I can't put that on anybody. That was my disorder. That was my trauma. That wasn't anybody's fault. So I would go a few days and then I must have napped. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> and what's weird is my memory is so crazy clear on certain things, but time is the only thing that's tricky for me. I remember speaking with a therapist about all this stuff and thinking, I don't know if this, I call it my crazy time, if it lasted five months or five years. Like yeah. I really didn't at first. And then I would go by my kids' ages. Okay, right. no one, the first thing I did, this one wasn't a year old. And then, then another thing I did, okay, they were three years old. So I knew it was years of the craziness. Um, the dancing was off and on, not for that long, but that was just part of the rest of it. Yeah. So it was a few years that that, that that went on. You mentioned that you rebuilt yourself. So how did you go about doing that? You mentioned the therapy, which I think is amazing, right? I mean, that's a great way to... Yeah, but you have to be ready. I was seeing yeah. a therapist throughout all of it and okay. I still wasn't, I just wasn't ready. It was almost like I was drunk and you're trying to get help when you're drunk. There's only so much you can do until you sober up. Right. And so for me, I kind of, I crashed. Um, I, there was a morning I, I woke up and sort of the, the, the truth of what I was doing and, and how I was hurting other people and how I was putting myself at risk. And it hit me and I knew I had to make some big changes. And that's when I kind of called my therapist at the time and in a panic. And he said, we had to stop everything. You know, we had to my ex and I were going to like swingers clubs and strip clubs and we had to stop it all. And I just had to focus on getting healthy. And, um, we started that and then it was getting into a eating disorder program. So I did that, which was fantastic and saved my life. And I had also been on heavy doses of medication for my surgeries that left me with chronic pain. I got off of all of that. So it was getting myself healthy and I was just ready for it. So that was great. But here's the thing. So, so I had this kind of false start because it seemed fantastic. And it took me a while to understand what happened. Probably writing the book is when I started to, to understand it because I did get healthy and my relationship was back on track and um, my kids were great. And I became a body image advocate and activist. And I wrote a book for parents and I was on TV and radio shows talking about it. And I was such a voice in that field, created a program. I would go and talk to kids and work with kids. And it was so fantastic. And I felt like I was doing something worthwhile and I loved it, but I ended up crashing again. And I couldn't figure out for the longest time why, what everything was going okay, what happened. And it was because I had never gotten through the shame of the stuff that I did while I was going through my trauma, while I had dissociated. So there were times when I would be speaking somewhere on body image and there was that little fear that what if somebody from my past sees me and they call me out? I remember being in the grocery store and walking with my children and a man smiled at me and one of my kids going, why is he looking at you? And I thought, I, I don't know. Like maybe he thinks he knows me. Maybe he's trying to flirt. Maybe he saw me dance. Like, but it was paralyzing fear that my, that those secrets would come out. And I felt hypocritical. I felt like I'm not such a good person. People think I'm a great person because I'm helping kids, but here I am really, I did, I did some really yucky things that I'm not proud of. So I'm really not a good person. And that shame was completely weighing me down. It was, it was so heavy that I gave into it and I started to think I'm not such a great person. And I'm, and not only that, now I'm a liar because people think I'm a good person and I kind of stopped doing it all. And I stayed in situations that were unhealthy. I, I started not treating my body well again and, and not eating properly and not sleeping properly and, and just staying in relationships that weren't great for me. And I was stuck in that for 
for quite a while. I started to feel worthless again. I started to feel like I was taking up space that I didn't deserve. And it wasn't until just a few years ago. And I remember things had gotten so bad that I would take my kids to school. They were in high school at the time. And I would, uh, I'd, I'd get up in the morning and I'd been, be crying and I'd sort of fix myself and, and I'd drive them to school. And I would say to myself, make sure you laugh a couple of times, make sure you sing to music a couple of times. Like don't, I did not want them to know what I was feeling. And I would drop one off, then I would drop the other one off. Mm-hmm. And then on my way back, I would pass an overpass and I would think, would it hurt? Would it be quick? And for the longest time, I thought I could never really end my life because I knew what it was like to grow up without parents. I wouldn't do that to my kids. But then I got to a point where I thought maybe they'd be better. Maybe they'd be, be better off. And I was having one of those thoughts and driving home and, and managed to keep my steering wheel forward. And I, I got to the grocery store and um, my plan was to binge because I was off with my, my food. I'd relapsed and I was binging at this point and was, and I'd go through the aisles and I'd have to stop and remind myself to breathe because I was full of anxiety. And I, my plan was, you know, stock up on a bunch of food and then watch TV until it's time to pick the kids up again. And I got to the cash and the woman there, uh, we had a bit of a conversation and she was stressed about something. And, and I said, I was having a hard time. And she just looked at me and she's like, you, you're always so full of life. And I'm like, what? Like I, it, it actually, I didn't get it. And she was like, yeah, you're so like luminescent. And I was like, who is she talking to? Like it really, it really confused me because that is not how I saw myself anymore. And I remember leaving there, I had a horrible headache and I, I got home and I was putting away the groceries, bawling my eyes out, listening to music really loud despite the headache. Cause I was so, I'm like, how does she see? And I don't, what is she? And, and it was, there was something in that conversation that I remember something just in me went enough, enough. Like it's, there's something there that you don't see anymore. It's there though. Other people see it. This is not where your story ends. You haven't gone through everything you went through to have it end like this. And that was when there was something in me that said, you're making some changes. I didn't know what, I didn't know how, but I was making some changes and I got up and I washed my face and I don't think I cried again for three months. And I was just on a path to make some changes. And I picked my kids up from school, saw that overpass and was like, not today. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when things started to change. And it, but it took years. And it's only more recently when the big thing was I'm, I'm letting that shame. I mean, I, we've talked about how all these secrets that I was so afraid that were going to come out, I've actually put down on paper in a book, published it for people to read. That's crazy to me still. <laughs> like I'm talking about it. It's crazy. But how liberating yeah, is that? Absolutely. It's, I own it. I, and, and I've owned it. I don't make excuses. I mean, yes, I, it's, there's an explanation. I, it's not an excuse, but there's an explanation. I've forgiven myself because I, I dedicate my book to anyone who's struggling to forgive themselves for the mistakes they made when they were just doing their best to survive. And that's what I was doing. It was messy. It is, did not happen the way I would have liked it to. There are definitely things I would change, but I can't. This is what happened. And I got from point A to point B and I'm alive and I'm happy and I'm strong. And that's, that, that's my whole message is that I had to let go. The shame was an anchor around my neck that was keeping me down. It was keeping me from experiencing joy. And, and I gave up my goals and my dreams and any chance of happiness in any way. And that's a shame. I don't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. Yes. And I'm a mother. I don't want my kids seeing that from me. So letting go of that shame. Now there are people that are going to judge me, but that's fine. That's okay. I don't, that has no, I say all the time, I, if, if my life choices make you uncomfortable, that's okay. Better you're uncomfortable with my life than I'm uncomfortable yes. with my life. Yes, absolutely. And I'm finally comfortable with all of it. You know, my story is my story. It's a literal book, but we also have these, these figurative books and every chapter you can't pick and choose. It's all, it's all there. And I've, I've learned to, to not love every chapter, but love myself through every chapter. And that's the difference. Instead of me beating myself up for yeah. the, 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 the uglier chapters, I'm loving myself more through those chapters. Yes. I love all of what you just said. And I think it is so important. Like you said, that shame is fricking heavy. Mm-hmm. 
And the fact that you've had the courage to put it all out there in all its, like you say, messiness, Mm. because let's be honest, we all have messiness. Okay. Some more than others, but we all have it. And the people who say they don't are lying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the fact that you are honest and putting it all out there is a wonderful example for others to follow. And it's obviously something that is, has is going to be a life or has been, sorry, a life changer for you in terms of your own recovery and your own, you know, realizing how valuable and joyful you are. And, and I I really think, you know, when you let go of other Mm -hmm. people's judgment and put yourself out there, you know, it's like, I have nothing else to hide. Well, that's it. And here I am. So I have nothing to be afraid of anymore kind of a thing. Right. Right. And I say, I say all the time too, it's, it's, I'm pretty out there now on social media and I'm kind of crazy and I dance and I lip sync and all that. And, and I, and I know that there are people who I'll put up a a lip sync video and people go, Oh God, again, another one for sure. Of course, (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay. Cause then I also have people messaging me going, Kate, hello, life is crazy right now. It's really down. Can you dance? You know, I love your videos. (laughs) I, I, and I mentioned this to you earlier before we started recording is that I see you on social media as this free woman. (laughs) And, And I mean it like you obviously just are putting it out there and you are so full of joy and light and I see it in you. And the fact that you're putting it out there is so awesome to me. And I, I love it. So keep keep oh, keep thanks. it coming. <laughs> well, you know what it is too? It's funny because because people know also I'll do this crazy thing where in the summer I'll I'll go out and I'll go walking down the street, like a busy street. I'll go for two hours and I'll have my music on and I will dance down the street. Like I will, I will dance. And it's so funny because sometimes I'll go out and I won't the music hadn't started yet. And I'll go, how do I do that? That's kind of embarrassing. How do I? And then the music starts. I'm like, oh right, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'll have people in cars who who honk or wave or I'll pass I passed a woman the other day and she gives me a little dance move and a thumb like it's nice. especially now when things are so disconnected for me it connects people yeah. you know it's a funny thing and again I'm sure there are people going what is her problem but other people <laughs> it's it's just joy and I feel like I feel like I've cried enough in my life when I want to dance I'm going to dance because yeah. I'm not hurting anybody yeah. at all and I think also writing the book which is why I suggest everybody write a book Writing the book was also liberating because I felt like when I started to post things like singing and dancing and certain quotes, I thought if there was a second where I went, should I not post that? I thought I'm writing a book where I'm telling everything. What am I? And I'm going to worry about a lip sync. Come on. (laughs) Um, But that, but that there's real power in that. Absolutely. And again, there are people who will judge, but that's okay. A lot of that, when people judge you, it's coming from whatever they're exactly their position and that's not my business exactly and that's okay I don't I don't and if I make someone uncomfortable for some reason I don't want them to follow me I don't like do what you got to do for you and if you think I'm too much then cut me off or what that's fine whatever brings me joy that yes. isn't hurting anyone else like we need that yeah and I think everybody if something brings you joy take it grab it do it paint yeah. it sing to it dance to it do whatever because yeah. there's not enough of that and I guess I'm, I also look, I turned 50 this year and there is something, I feel very empowered by it. I actually really loved turning 50. And I think there's something to the thing of, I've been here for 50 years. It's been a jam packed roller coaster ride. If I can't be me now, when do I get to be me? You know, like yeah. it's taken 50 years for me to be Marcy, like full on that. Why would I want to? why would I want to dilute that? I don't want to, I don't want to like it's, and it feels kind of rebellious in a really good way. I'm good with that. Well, I think the realization that if other people are judging you, it's their own Mm -hmm. stuff is so huge. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that when you want to put something out there that feels authentic to you and not caring what other people's judgment is, it feels so good. Cause you know, it's good, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you feel good about it. You put it out into the world and you're kind of just like, this is me. And that's really what it is. That's the amazing thing is that, and it sounds so, I don't even know how it's going to sound, but if I see a quote, for example, and it still will happen sometimes and I'll love it. Either it's, it makes me think or it's funny or it's, there's something about it I really, really like, but maybe it's a bit risque or I don't know. And I'll think, what will people think? And I'm like, no, they'll think exactly it's me. Like that's, but that is 
for whatever reason. So if they're judging me on it, then they should be judging me because it is me, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay with, and I like how people tell me sometimes I saw this quote and I was going to send it to you. And then I realized you were the one that had posted it or, (laughs) or some people will say, I know exactly when I see something that it was you that posted it. Cause I am consistent because I only post stuff that I really believe in, in one sense. But I, yeah, I just don't, can I say one more thing? This is, this is how I feel, especially with dancing and being silly. I kind of thought of this the other day. We're allowed, if you see, I think I was thinking this when I was doing my little dance walk down the street. And, you know, if you see um, a a five-year-old dancing anywhere in the supermarket, that's really cute. Mm -hmm. If you see an 85-year-old woman dancing anywhere, that's really cute. You should be on Facebook and get a million. That's cute. Somehow between five and 85 (laughs) for women, but it's true. We kind of lose autonomy over our body. Like then it's not so like, so if 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 you're 20 or 30 or 40 and you're dancing in the, there are going to be people going, what is she doing? That's not, why? But why? Like, why can't, when do we lose that? Like, it's okay. And it's because I think it's when it becomes uncomfortable for other people Mm -hmm. because we become sexualized. So if somebody now at 25 is dancing everywhere and somebody finds that attractive or sexy and it makes them uncomfortable or they just don't approve of it, it's wrong. It's, but it's not wrong. We should always feel comfortable in our own bodies as long as it's healthy. I look, I we talk about dancing and I did wonder maybe maybe I shouldn't, especially when my book comes out. Are people now gonna look at my videos and go, Oh, she's to dance like look at them differently, mm-hmm. you know? And it's kinda like, I don't care. Yeah. That's you know? No, problem. no, and I'm and the difference now, because there was a time also when I was being so overly sexual in an unhealthy way, when I thought, um, I can't be sexual at all. Like I have to just be invisible because it's not okay. And then I realized that that's not, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like that's not okay. I, I, I am in, in touch with my sexuality and that's, that's okay. The difference now when I dance and the difference now with my body is that I'm in a healthy place. The truth is if I'm healthy, if I'm aligned physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically, then I can use my body any way, anyhow, with anyone that I choose. Cause it's my body and I'm a grown ass woman. Yeah. And you're coming at it, like you said, from a healthy place, from a healthy place. And you know what, here's the thing. And we say this all, I've said this in many episodes because it is, it holds true. And that is that when you put yourself out there and the people who really react well to it, those are your people. That's it. You're connecting to those people who are meant to be in your circle. And the people who don't care for it, that's okay. They're just not meant to be your people. That, I say that all the time. I would rather somebody, I would rather somebody stick around, you know, because they they know all of me and they they appreciate it, than somebody. Like, I don't care if I lose somebody who who thought they liked me, but now they find out more about me and they didn't because then they didn't really like me because they didn't really know me. Yeah. And then they're not my people. But I've been really amazed. I didn't know how people would take to the book. I didn't know what kind of reaction I would get. And that was kind of scary. And what I'm finding is there are a lot of people, a lot of women who I didn't think I'd have a lot in common with, who seemed to me very much like maybe more conservative, maybe had led a much more traditional life. I'm finding these women are, are contacting me and saying, thank you for sharing. I feel less alone. You know, maybe they're not ready yet to, to, tell their secrets or, but they're seeing that someone else has, and it hasn't killed them. I, I say all the time, my, my secrets revealing them isn't hurting me. It's, it's given me life again, but holding them, keeping them, burying them down with where, where they would do the most damage in my soul. That was killing me. Yes. And that's why I was going to ask you, do you think that's the difference this time? Because like you said, you had relapsed before. Mm-hmm. And do you think that is the key factor this time in being your healthiest self is that you've let go of that shame that was really absolutely a hundred percent because I see it in, in every aspect of my life. I see it with just how I'm treating my body just health wise. And I, I, every, in every way I'm appreciating myself. And you know, my, another message that I say is, is that we go through trauma. A lot of us, a lot of us have gone through trauma or just challenging times in, in our lives and we get through it. And we're, we're, we're successful or we're happy, but instead of appreciating and respecting and celebrating ourselves for making it to the other side, we criticize the way we did it, which is what I did. My road to health was messy. And instead for so many years, instead of me going, look, I made it. I survived. I'm such a warrior. I was going, oh, but look, I was a terrible person because of how I did it. I crawled through the mud to get to, to the light. Well, that's okay though. So now, and that now I celebrate being here. 
And I think that that I would, I really want people to learn that it doesn't matter what you had to do to get to where you are. We do things to get through the trauma, but if you survived it, you, you're a survivor, you're a warrior and that should be celebrated period. End of sentence. Not, but I, none of that. Yeah. I wish I had none of that. You're here. You made it. You deserve to be celebrated. Absolutely. Well said. Bravo. (laughs) You mentioned the reaction to the book. So you've had some good reaction. So how are you feeling? Because it's been out for a few weeks now. Yeah. No, it's been it's been good. I mean, I think the truth is when you write a memoir and you talk about your story, there are other people involved. And I know I haven't heard from everyone yet. I know a lot of people haven't read it yet and I'm waiting. I'm actually waiting for certain people to read it. They won't be thrilled with it. I've hidden everyone's name and, um, but not everyone's going to be going to love my memories or, but again, I I've written it. It's my, I own, I take ownership of, of everything. So that'll be interesting. Um, I've been lucky right now that I've gotten, everything's been really good. I did, um, have a situation where because I've worked with kids for years in the body image uh, field, uh, that, that's, that might be a little bit tricky now. I think not for everyone. Um, but I did, I did have a, a, a girl's organization contact me to speak on body image. Like I always do. And, and I felt it was only fair and respectful to let them know about this book that I, that was just released. And, um, I told them about it and, and I've never heard back from them. So I get it because, you know, they thought not everyone will accept all of me, but it is all of me. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I won't pretend that it doesn't exist because it took me 50 years to appreciate yeah. all of me. Yeah. So, so there will be, there will, there might be some downfall, I guess, but not really, yeah. not really. I, I'm more excited for, for the people that are brought into my life rather than, than the things I lose. I think, I think there's going to be so much more. Um, that's brought in because I think there are going to be people who who do see, see me on social media and who have sort of thought, oh, she's this fun dancing kind of. But there wasn't too much depth there, and and I mean, again, with my book, I've had people contact me and say they related to the part about my father. Somebody else related to the part about my body image. Someone else relate to the relationship part. There's so many different parts in it yeah. that different people relate to, and I love that. I like that I, you know, you write your story, and, and a lot. Of of the time I was writing it, I would stop and kind of go, what am I doing? Who's going to care? It's not such a big deal. And who am I? So then when you hear that people are connecting to you and things are resonating with them, that that's an amazing thing to happen. Absolutely. And I know, look, my, my closest friends would say that I'm the most fearless person they know, which terrifies them because I'm the most fearless person they know. Um, because I, I am putting it all out there, but, and I know not everybody can, and I don't want anyone to ever feel like there's something wrong with them or they're weak because they can't, it's terrifying, but I'm just beyond that, I guess. I don't know. You know, I kind of go big or go home at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope like, let me do it. I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'm, I can get messy again. I can, I can take some hits. I can do it. I'm strong enough for that. Yeah that I'll do it if it means that someone else can see that I survived it and it gives them the strength to try. Oh, I am just loving everything you're saying. <laughs> I think your messages, not only obviously regarding positive body image for children, I think that's so important, but also obviously all of these messages from your book, from your latest book, um, are so powerful. And I really thank you so much for having the courage to put it out there. I think you are awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so what is next for you? What excites you about the future? Well, that's the thing with me is that I've learned <laughs> that I have no idea. That's what I've learned. I've learned that, and it used to be terrifying when I had no idea what was coming up, but, and I think it's still, that would be scary for a lot of people. But one thing my life has shown me is I could, I could plan as much as I want. It never, it's always like, oh, we're here now. Okay. Oh, oh now we're here. Okay. We're here. So I kind of go with it. I don't have a big, my kids tease me that I don't plan five minutes ahead, which isn't fantastic all the time. <laughs> you should plan a little bit, but I, I look at it as more possibility. Like I love that. I don't know. What's, I love that. Yeah. I will never be stuck in a situation where I know what's ahead and it's not good. Like that's why I left bad situations because I will never let, whether it's a relationship, a job, anything, I will not stay in a situation because it feels safe if it feels uncomfortable and safe. I would rather 
take my chances and, and, and see what's out there. Cause that's mm-hmm. exciting to me. Yeah. So I have no clue, but I'm excited about it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move on to our final five, which are the same five questions I ask of every guest. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. This is fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I would like to, I think I'd like to read minds. I think I would very briefly, I think it would be really overwhelming for too long. Yeah. But I do because I think, I think I would like to, to know what people are thinking because I think too many times what people say isn't really what they think. Yeah. And I'd like to know. I'm very curious like that. Cool. Yeah. That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? Solid gold dancer. Oh, okay. remember that show? I do. Yeah, of course. absolutely. I can remember the theme song <laughs> still. Yeah. But a little performer, a singer yeah. dancer. Yeah. All right. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? <laughs> it's funny because I do love food and all these things are going through my head. Like I had a great meal once it was fish on an island, like fed. No, I would be chocolate. And yeah. it would be cho- probably fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. That's what it would be. That sounds delicious. Pretty simple, but that's that's <laughs> no, that's a classic. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Um, who is a woman in history or present day you admire? I would have to say right now, Jacinda Ardern, the uh, oh, Prime Minister yes. of New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. I would. I would pick her. I, big girl crush on her. I think uh, she's pretty amazing. She's powerful, but she like she'll say she's she's soft. But yeah. powerful. Yeah. She doesn't need to play a game, play the man's game to get stuff done. And she was yeah. just reelected again by a so landslide. I was so happy to hear that. That's, that's, I think that's, and it's funny too, because there were a whole bunch of things going around social media about, you know, we, we all want to move to New Zealand. And then people are like, no, no, let's bring that here. Yes. Like we have women, there's women, there are women in Canada, there's women in the state. Like we need to just bring that here, yes. you know, and, and, and do that. So you yeah. You just gave me chills good. again. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. There's so many yes. people here. So she's not the only people. one. She's showing that it's possible and, and, and amazing, but yeah, let's, let's bring that here. Let's do yes. that. Yes, 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 yes. All right. What is your favorite quote? Okay. This isn't going to be the, the inspirational kind of, but this is <laughs> what my favorite quote. It's actually something I feel I read I think the, the poet is, is J iron word. And it says it's cause I feel like it's me. She's no Barbie. She's wonder woman with a sailor's mouth. Oh, I, like I like that. that. I like that. Yeah. You and I have that in common. The there sailor's mouth. That's part. right. We, we did good. I, we didn't, I, yeah. I think I said a little bit, but we didn't quite get there today, but <laughs> perhaps another time. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being thank here you. today I really appreciate it. and sharing your story. It was very powerful. I love that we can inspire other women together. And thank you for trusting me to share your story. Thank you for asking me. <laughs>